So let's pray, and then we'll enter into the message together. Daddy, you are good, and your love endures forever. Most of us know that in some way, shape, or form, but uh, we all come uh, wanting to taste it, uh, wanting to know you more deeply this morning, wanting to be transformed, uh, to put on your character. Please teach us to value you supremely. We want your values to shape our values, to shape our lives, actions. We believe that's possible, Jesus, because of what you did on the cross. The work is finished. We can't earn your favor. It's freely given to us. And we are glad that you are alive, that you you lead, you reign. So we come today wanting your reign to be more complete in us. So we open ourselves to you now. Just take a moment and be honest with God about where you're at today, what you're bringing into this time, even if you don't feel a lot, if you're not thinking a lot, just take a moment to silently Bear your heart to God. So please meet us here, Holy Spirit and lead us into all truth. Amen. So today I'd like to start with a recap uh, because we're in the middle of Jesus' final warnings. And if we just kind of picked up, even if I gave an illustration to start uh, this message, it's going to be kind of a hard talk because Jesus is concluding the Sermon on the Mount with some warnings. And I want us to frame it up the way that Matthew frames it up, which is, in the context of, of this good news that Jesus has brought. So we started Matthew um, in February, and we kind of did a flyover of those first few chapters, and we saw this theme of fulfillment quickly emerge. Uh, it's written, and it's been fulfilled. The prophets said, and it's been fulfilled. Um, and this theme of fulfillment really, really is summed up this way, that all of God's purposes, all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ. And the application of the whole Gospel of Matthew can be summed up this way. In Christ, each of our lives finds its ultimate fulfillment. So whether you're in a season of changing diapers, whether you're in a season of singleness or marriage, whether you're retired, a student, or working, your life can find its ultimate fulfillment only in Christ, in growing, vibrant relationship with him. And so if this is true, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all God's purposes, the point of our lives, then we would do well to listen to him. And so that's what we've tried to do uh, starting in the middle of March. We, we, we started this Sermon on the Mount, as it's called, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And um, 
Here's just a, a quick recap of chapter 5. Jesus cast a vision of life in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus came announcing, repent, change your ways because the kingdom of heaven is, is here. It's available. It's at hand. And then he details in chapter 5 what life in the kingdom of heaven looks like. And then in chapter 6, he tells us, he teaches us how to move towards that. It's internal training. That is how we move towards life in the kingdom of heaven. And then this, this last section, uh, chapter 7, I really struggled with how do you sum up chapter 7? There's so much going on. And I believe it's our insides, this, this internal training, and, and what the kingdom is. It's coming out in chapter 7. It's coming out in relationships with others. So since we're in chapter 7, here's a little bit more detail of where we've been the last couple weeks. It comes out in how we judge. And all of us judge in some way. But Jesus taught us to judge with mercy. To, you know, to kind of own our plank. Not just pick the specks out of our brother's eye. But when we go to remove the speck, we do so in love. And when we are owning our plank. Uh, he taught us, you know, like the golden rule was last week. Um, but in the midst of the golden rule, that our, our relationships with others, treating others the way that we'd want to be treated, it comes out of this, this prayer life, this inner life, that's coming out, our insides coming out. And Jesus concluded last week's, with the first warning, last week's passage, uh, when he says, you know, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. I, I could be wrong, but I believe he's talking about obedience, that this way of following Jesus, it, it's possible. It really is possible to follow Jesus, but it's, it's not popular. And so the, the first of the three warnings that we're going to talk about the second this week, the first I kind of summed up this way. You can be saved, meaning you can belong to Jesus, be in right relationship, and be miserable. But you don't have to be. You don't have to be miserable uh, in, your, in your walk with Jesus. So here, here's today's warning. You can be saved. Again, I'm, I'm using that word meaning justified, you're, you're, living, you're in right relationship with God, you're forgiven, you can be saved and be misled. That's what we're going to unpack today. But again, you don't have to be. And when I say misled, it might sound off, I know in my mind it sounded off some theological alarms, um, but it's really misled up to a point because Jesus teaches that no one can snatch those who the Father has given out of his hand no one can snatch them out of his hand. And 1 John 2 says that those who do uh, leave the faith, those who do deny Jesus, when they go out from us, it shows that they were not ever truly of us. So we tend to think of that word misled as you're either in or you're out. You're either in a cult and you're being deceived <laughs> or you're in the truth. But I think a continuum is a much better picture because it's clear from our lives and from Scripture that anybody who's following Jesus is still, we still sin, right? We're not perfect in this life. And, and we all know why we still sin, too. It's because we believe lies. We be, we, we, our actions come from what we believe, and we're believing lies when we sin. Often, we don't even know it because these lies are so hardwired into us. And the Bible's clear that the devil, Satan, is the one who tells those lies. He's the deceiver. So it, it really helps me to think about being misled in terms of a continuum. 
And so we're all going to be somewhere on the continuum. And it's possible to live more and more on the left-hand side. And, and where you're not even like living in ongoing sin because your repentance is legitimate. It's, it's sincere. So to, to, to live on the right-hand side is to sin and to think that you're doing right. To be that deceived. So... All that to say, uh, this very much ties in, I believe the Sermon on the Mount is a brilliant message that's unified, and it all ties into Jesus' thesis, his, his main point, his aim in this message found in Matthew 5. I want to remind us of this before we look at our specific passage today. Jesus says, don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but here's that, here's that key word, that theme, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So again, Jesus' aim is to pr- produce a people who do what Jesus did. He fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the law's intent. And, and he wants us to move towards that because it's quite clear to me that you can have a righteousness, Jesus' righteousness, that surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, and you're in. But if you don't move towards a life of ongoing obedience to Jesus, you're least in the kingdom. And so G- Jesus is just saying, Follow me. Follow me. Don't, don't, don't just give him lip service, but give him life service. So with all that in mind, let, let's engage today's passage, this, this warning that Jesus gives in Matthew 7. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. It's it's pretty clear passage to divide up. There's two main points. Jesus starts by saying, watch out for false prophets. That's his main point. And then when you're watching out, here's how you'll know them. You'll know them by their fruit. So watch out for false prophets. You'll know them by their fruit. And again, I'm kind of summarizing the warning this way. You can be saved and misled up to a point, but you don't have to be. And I'm saying that to get our attention because It's easy for us to think, well, I'm not being misled at all. But Jesus is addressing his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 1 gives the context for this whole sermon. When he saw the crowds, Jesus went up on a mountainside or a hill, and he sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And there might have been a few, I don't know, there might have been a few who were like deciding to follow Jesus, who were interested. But it seems to me the primary audience is his followers, And he is saying to his followers, watch out, which assumes 
they could be misled by false prophets. And so well, what's a prophet, Ben? I would, I would just clear, or, uh, succinctly summarize it this way. Those who speak on behalf of God. If you're a false prophet, you're speaking falsely on God's behalf. So we tend to, I think, wrongly categorize prophets as those who foretell the future. But, and and they, they do some of that in the Old Testament, and that's clear. But it's mostly forthtelling. It's publishing the facts of who God is, what he's up to, what he thinks. And so prophet is simply those who speak on God's behalf. And we see in the rest of the New Testament that some followers do get misled in some degree up to some points. So if you've read the New Testament, you know there's so many letters that address false teaching or false teachers who have somehow gained some kind of influence in churches. And interesting, all the letters that address false teachers, you would think they'd, they'd, they'd write to the church over here and say, hey, could you engage that church over there because they've got some false teachers in their midst? No, they write to the church where the false teachers are kind of proliferating their false teaching. So that assumes, the author of those letters assumes that all of them, all the church in the power of Jesus could do something about it. None of them were too far gone because the church has the spirit of God. And whether the church, whether the people in, choose to access that power and do something about it is, is on them. So when Jesus says, watch out for false prophets, it's out of love. This warning comes because he knows they're dangerous. And the only thing, that, you know, he, he gives this picture of a wolf in sheep's clothing. The only thing more dangerous than a wolf is a wolf that you have not identified. A wolf that you think is, when you think you're safe, you're most vulnerable to attack. That's the element of surprise in the military, in war. And if you want to progress in maturity, if you want the life that Christ came to bring, you wouldn't, you wouldn't settle for following someone who does not practice and teach Jesus' way. And so I think it's, it's just far more challenging than we normally realize to identify and, and to follow uh, the truth. But I think it's possible. And one of my, one of my favorite stories uh, it seems like when I, when I hung out with James Roach, there was always a story that came from the time. But um, James met Jesus in the early 1980s. And James wrote a testimony. I'd be happy to share it with you. Before James passed, he wanted everyone to hear his testimony. Um, so connect with me afterwards, and I'll, I'll give you the whole 11-page document. Um, but James met Jesus in the early 80s. And the way that he put it in his testimony was, at that point, I was no longer a Catholic when Jesus wrapped his arms around me, when I met Jesus in the Bible, I was no longer a Catholic, but a Christian. But he kept on going to the Catholic church and he had a number of different reasons. A few decades later, I met him and he said, right back there by those front doors, he said, Ben, have you ever met a Bible-believing Catholic before? I said, no, but I always believed you were out there. And... Again, when we hear that term misled, we tend to think of cults or whatnot, uh, those who say they're the only ones who are right. But I, in this case, this story I'm trying to tell you, James realized, you know, I'm, I'm pulling in this direction. And I got this picture this week of like a tug of war with a rope, if we're 
doing tug of war. It's like if me and Dean were doing tug of rope and then someone over here started pulling that direction, it's like it's not helping me, you know. And so being misled, it's, it's not just black or white. There's this continuum. And James, as he continued following Jesus, read his Bible, his convictions continued to form, he found himself knowing more and more what he believed, knowing more and more what the Catholic Church believed, and they just didn't line up. They weren't pulling in the same direction. So James left the Catholic Church, and God blessed us here with a few months with him before James left his body and went to be with the Lord. And so... I've really wrestled with whether to share that story because I know that you could mishear me. I'm not picking on James at all for being misled. I'm actually trying to promote his faith because think about the courage and the wisdom that it takes to know how to take a stand, when to take a stand, what to take a stand over. And and so I want to commend James's faith in wrestling through that process. He grew in his faith as a result of that process. And you might mishear me and make you know hear me saying that well the catholic church is is misleading their false prophet i'm not saying that personally i've been incredibly helped by a number of men who have come out of the catholic tradition including augustine john of the cross thomas akempis henry nowen and there's so so many more i mean in many ways we stand on the shoulders historically of of that tradition so I'm not trying to point a finger at all. As I reflected on this story, here's what I want us to take away. James and the Catholic Church were both doing the very best they knew how. And it is very hard for each one of us to be doing the very best we know how and then to realize that's not actually best. We tend to think that the best we know how is good enough. And it... The confusing, the difficult part is sometimes the best we know how is good enough. Here's the kicker, though. It's only good enough if we are continuing to develop. The best that James knew how in 2017 was different than it was in 2007, different than it was in 1997. He continued to grow in his walk. And so when Jesus calls us to watch out, it just makes sense that we are better able to identify falsehood, not because we're studying everything that's false, but because we're following the one who's true. I don't know a lot about counterfeit money. I have no desire to. But I do know that those who identify counterfeit money, they're, they're incredibly familiar with the intricate details of the real thing. And so watch out for false prophets. We can, we can flip it and basically say, Pay attention to the true prophet, the one pure true prophet. And so I think the application for this first point is very simple. Focus on Jesus, and over time, you'll gain the clarity that you need regarding what's false because you're pursuing the one who came to testify to the truth. We all must keep developing. And as we develop, as we grow in our faith, that main implication will lead to the next one. When we're growing in our faith, we are going in faith. And so we can engage others, not in an investigation. We're not carrying out any inquisition here, but we want to invite people into further conversation. And so often I've asked people, do you have any spiritual beliefs? And they'll say, oh yeah, I'm a agnostic, Lutheran, Christian, Catholic, fill in the blank. But I've learned if you ask them, well, what do you mean by that? 
what do you mean by a Christian? What do you mean by a Lutheran? What do you mean by an agnostic? And you'll, you'll get a much fuller picture. They might politely shut you down, and at that point, you politely accept their, you know, that they don't want to talk about that. But it, this is an opportunity to engage people and to invite people into the truth. Because I've met Mormons who self-identify as Christians, and they're Mormon. <laughs> There's a big difference. And you don't have to know the differences, but I, I just want to encourage you. I think one of the best ways to grow in your faith is to go in your faith, to live on mission. And as you run into these things, then you have a reason to do some research. You have a reason to, to learn because you're engaging people who God loves. So now let's move to point number two. Jesus said, watch out for false prophets. And then here's how to discern them and to even discern ourselves, I believe. You'll know them by their fruit, meaning you'll recognize people by what their life produces. And Jesus pointed out that certain plants produce certain things. A fig bush or fig tree doesn't produce thorns. That's what thistles do. And Jesus did this to make the point that certain teaching and certain leaders will produce certain kinds of people. And Jesus says this twice, by their fruit you'll recognize them. So it's really important because he repeats it. And so we, we need to understand what is the fruit? I believe it's the production of their life. A tree that produces fruit from being a healthy tree. And it takes years for a healthy tree from seed to produce fruit. It takes years for that inner production to be measured, to be made known. And so Jesus, I believe, is talking about the quality of kingdom life. It, it ties into chapter 5, what life in the kingdom is, what that's like. Chapter 6, how you move towards that internal training. And then chapter 7, our insides coming out. And to be clear, I mean, if you think about a good tree producing good fruit and our lives, Jesus is the good tree. He's the only tree that's perfectly good and produces perfectly good fruit. But it's important to know that because his perfection sets our direction. And so when we are looking for leaders, when we're examining our own life, we should not be looking for perfection. We should be looking for direction. And it's Jesus' perfection that sets our direction. This shows up like that continuum showed. It shows up in repentance over time. And that we don't we sin less and less, and we're quicker and quicker to repent. We can become increasingly good trees bearing increasingly good fruit. But we must repent quickly, decisively, and give Jesus our life service, not just lip service. And so you've probably, you know, picked up Orchard is the name of our church. But my prayer, honestly, is that it becomes more than a name. It becomes a description, a picture of who we are and, and who we're becoming. A community of fruit-bearing trees where you produce fruit and you produce fruit and you produce fruit. And all together, we're a community of fruit-bearing trees, good trees that produce good fruit. And none of us are perfect. Uh, that's never going to be true of us this side of heaven but I want this to be a place where we produce where, where what we produce it comes deep from within us 
we're not just doing good things. We're actually becoming increasingly good people under King Jesus. This is a place where we practice and teach others to do the same. So let's end with what I think are some obvious questions for all of us from this study. This warning that Jesus gives in love that you can be saved and misled. You can be justified and, and misled or you can be justified in Christ and well-led. Here's some concluding questions. Who are you following? And even think practically like this. Every time you log on to Facebook and you scroll, 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 read, 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 you're intaking a message, message, message. Some of the apps, I'm not on Twitter, but if you are, that's fine. They're even called followers, right? Twitter followers. And you might think, Ben, that's such a petty thing. Or Ben, I like those things. Are they really that bad? I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just asking, who are you following? It's one thing to have technology serve you. It's another thing to serve technology. And we can easily, all of us, make good things into a great thing, into an idol, family, our workplace, our success. That's just us. Our, our hearts are always seeking to worship something. And everyone is. Everyone is following someone. So the better you know who you're following, the better you're, you're going to realize that you're not stuck on that right-hand side of the misled continuum. So who are you following? That's the first question to consider. The second question is like it. How are you following? For example, scrolling through Facebook is a different magnitude of following than saying yes to dating a guy or marrying someone. It's a different magnitude. Watching TV in moderation, you know, it's, it's different than starting and ending your day with it. Going to church is one measure of following. following. Plugging in and serving, that, that's just another measure of following. So there's, the, there's degrees of followership. And you can kind of casually follow Jesus when it's convenient for you. Or you can commit to costly followership. And to be honest, both of them have a cost. The cost of following Jesus is incredibly high. It costs our whole life. The cost of not following Jesus, I'd say it's even higher. It costs you the fullness of life that Jesus came to bring. So who are you following and, and how are you following? Because to follow Jesus is to submit to leadership within biblical limits. That's one of our heart values, our heart attitudes. So I'm just encouraging you to do that intentionally. And lastly, uh, this one is connected to the prior two questions. Who is following you? It's easy to read this whole passage and think false prophets. Yeah, I, I'm familiar with all these cults and these historical false prophets. Um, but this isn't about judging others. This is about owning our plank as well. To borrow Jesus' language from a couple weeks ago. And who is following you is very connected to who and how you're following because the best followers make good leaders. Who you follow will shape how you lead. And I've talked before about how we're all called to lead in some way. A leader is an agent of change. A leader is someone who exerts influence for good or for bad. We all exert influence in some way. And Jesus connects leadership to service. Again, something that we're all called to do. So in some way, shape, or form, we are all leaders. And what matters most 
isn't how much leadership you have. It matters most how you use what you have. It is better to be faithful with an ounce of leadership than unfaithful with a ton. If you're not a math person, and I'm learning I'm really not, Google can help you. There are 32,000 ounces in a ton. And it is better to be faithful with one little ounce of leadership than to have a ton of leadership and be unfaithful to God. We are called to be God's co-agents of change. He wants to rule the world with us and it just amazes me because he doesn't need us. But he's called us to be co-agents, co-leaders with him of change in the world. And so the church, going back to the false prophets, the church has a prophetic voice. We are to show and tell forth the beautiful truth that Jesus is king. So Father, we want to be faithful with that role. And we praise you for being the good tree that produces good fruit the true prophet who illuminates falsehood. And we want the quality of our life, not just the quality of our words, the quality of our whole life to show and tell people of your goodness. Please continue speaking to us now, showing us who we really are following, how we really are following You speak in love and you speak specifically while the devil just wants us to uh, wallow in our guilt abstractly. And we know that you, Holy Spirit, will give us the words to say as we, as we follow you and as we engage others.